Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you are enjoying the Bumps and Thumbs podcast. In order to continue to run the podcast and get guests on the show, we need support from people like you. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Once you are there, you'll have options to select from to make a monthly contribution. Your support will help us get on wrestling stars that require financial compensation. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today has been in wrestling, a part of wrestling, for over 40 years. She is the author of the book titled Brody, The Triumph and Tragedy of Wrestling's Rebel. She is a lifetime member of the Cauliflower Alley Club. She's also the reunion registration register for the Cauliflower Alley Club and was the wife of the late bruiser Brody. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor and pleasure to welcome Mrs. Barbara Goodish. Barbara, thank you for coming out today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Brian, it's really my pleasure. Thank you for thank you for having me, and thank you for talking to me and oh. still remembering a lot of oh. legacies that have left us behind. Yes, I mean, your husband, your late husband, had a huge impact on the wrestling business, as well as you know. The spouses, I think, don't get enough credit for what they have to do behind the scenes with the family, taking care of the children and all that. And I and when I reached out to you and, and you accepted the invitation, I was really grateful because I'm trying to get a diverse group of people in here, the spouses, just not just the wrestlers and the promoters, but the spouses, the, the fans. And I really appreciate you coming on here today. So. Well, it, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And just uh, a note, too, um, working at the, uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club, um, I know you guys don't get paid for anything, so that's a huge responsibility for what you all do. And um, can you talk about a little bit what you do there and how, how that functions? You, you know, I first went there in 2015 when mm-hmm. they gave an award to Frank Bruiser. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd heard about it, but had not had anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I went there to accept the award. As I said before, I really hadn't had much. I lost my family. I had lost my family in wrestling and only a very few people had kept in touch with me. Stan Hansen, of course, was one of them. And of course, I had Darla and Herb Simmons and just a few of the people. But then when they gave the award, when Morgan Dollar, you know, told me that Frank was getting an award, I was at the first, one of the first events I ever went to was in Fort Worth because I really didn't have anything to do with anything for such a long period of time. And when I went to the Cauliflower Alley Club, it was like I found my family. It was like, it was just such a unique family that it was like, what have I been missing for so long? And it is just so nice to have that family. And the Cauliflower Alley Club 
what a wonderful, wonderful organization. Because as you know, with wrestlers, there's no 401k and there's no pensions and there's nothing. They give their bodies up and their time and everything and get nothing. And a lot of them, of course, now have injuries because Mm -hmm. it's such a physical, physical demand on their bodies to give everybody what they, you know, to be who they are. Yeah. And then they leave. And then a lot of them, of course, get into financial difficulties. Mm-hmm. And then, as you, I think you already repeated, you can go back, call the Cauliflower Alec Club, and you can get some help. So it's like, as I said, helping the ex-wrestlers who really need help because there's nowhere else they can really turn to. Yeah. So I went there 2015. It was Stan Hansen and Terry Funk gave me the award for Frank. It was really nice to see both of them and Stan has always kept in my life ever since it happened and then I went back every year and then finally as I said with Brian Blair and everything and my family and just they asked me if I would like to help out and I said I would love to give back you've given me my family I would love to give back to you so I'm I just take care of the registration when when they come in to register for the events they get their ticket and they get their lanyard and mm-hmm. you know and it's just such a great organization so yeah. anybody anybody out there it's only i think such a small amount per year i think it's 27 dollars per year to join you get four four magazines in that time and please come you will never have such a good time there's so many great people yeah. that it is as I said, it's a wonderful organization. Yeah. And I did become a lifetime member yeah. because that's, I always like to give back. When people give you something, you always, I like myself, I think it's nice to give back. You receive and you give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I didn't really know much about it either uh, until I did some research when I started this podcast about almost two years ago. And I looked into it and I noticed, you know, you guys do a lot of of good things uh, for those wrestlers. As you said, some of them fall on financial hardship. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no pension, uh, especially for the ones that were to me, the grinders and the the guys that made wrestling what it is today. You know, your husband, your, your, your husband, Stan Hansen, Terry Funk, those guys paved the way for people that wrestle in those big organizations today. I mean, if it wasn't for them guys, they wouldn't have the financial compensation that they have today. That's a fact. I know that for my heart of hearts. Right. And as I said, and this is what's so unbelievable. I mean, it is coming up to 34 years since he left us in Mm. July. Yeah. And when I go to these events, I have all these young people, young fans and young people that are just starting their wrestling careers. They'll come up and they'll tell me things. And and it's like, and then I ask them their age. And most of them, they weren't even born when he left us. And this is the power of social media. Because you've got social media, you've got the YouTube, you've got, he even has his own uh, Facebook page. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, no, I think what, what, is, what is it called? Bruiser Brody, Wrestling's Last Rebel. And I, and it's really great. I, I'm sort of the anonymous administrator, administrator, yeah. because I like to at least keep check of what 
people as you know what I mean what yeah. they are to keep yeah. it, to keep oh. it clean so to speak yeah oh yeah you yeah, got there's a lot of things mm. you don't want to get involved in or you don't want to you know you, you yeah. want a good place yeah and uh, it's it's amazing I see photographs especially from Japan and that I see photographs that I've never seen before so oh, wow. and, and it is just amazing like yeah. I said how people remember and how many people and I go back it has to be YouTube you know the YouTube because yeah. if you look at a match from the old days of the mm -hmm. old timers the legends and you look at a, the match today mm -hmm. it's such a difference in comparison yeah yeah and what I mean you had Abdullah the Butcher you had yeah. the Sheik you yeah. had you know characters that yeah. were unbelievable in the ring yeah I, and you know yeah, yeah. I, I can remember uh, when Bruiser Brody was in the AWA uh, under the Sheik, Adnan El Casey. That mm -hmm. uh, was one of my, and he did his job because I could not stand. <laughs> I couldn't stand him. He did his job. Him and Nor the Barbarian, uh, just ruthless. They were so big and powerful. And just, they played their roles to the T. And, you know, I think that's kind of a missing part today, not to get off track here, but no, I know <laughs> it, it's, you know, it, it seems so real. You really want it. You really could not stand those heels and you really love the faces, you know, and, and, and it just seems like, and, you know, you really, I mean, those guys, I'm not saying guys don't get hurt today, but I'm saying those guys back then, were, I think, a little more physical uh, in their when they were doing their matches. And I'm not saying it's not physical now, because it is. People get hurt. I mean, I get it. But um, I just think there was more expected. And, and there was a little bit more red, too, back in those days. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I call it red yeah. and green. It was a little bit red. Yeah. Red made green. Yeah, red made green. Yeah, red made green. That's yeah, because kind of yeah. I know uh, Frank. I mean, whenever he would come home, he would say, "You know, all I want to do is to give the people the best night of their life mm -hmm. because they're paying to come in to see me, and mm -hmm. I want them to leave being totally satisfied, and I want them to leave saying it looks real. It's got to be real." Yeah. You yeah. know, because the definition between the two, and even when uh, the few matches I've seen, yeah. it did look real. Kind of, whoa, this, yeah. this is real. And I have been, like, in, in, in St. Louis, a little town outside St. Louis, they have a Bruiser Brody Memorial with Herb Simmons every year on May oh, the 14th. Okay. Getting ready, yeah, getting ready to go again this May the 14th. Of course, the last couple of years, because of COVID, we haven't yeah. had it. yeah. And I'll be in the dressing room, you know what I mean, the dressing room with the guys, you know, getting yeah. everything ready. And, I mean, they, they come. This is kind of like old school wrestling. He, he still runs because Frank was with him for such a long time before everything happened too. Mm -hmm. So Herb is another one who's been a really good friend to me. And I'll be there. I mean, their bodies, they come back in from a match. I mean, they are just bruised and you know, you can see it all over their bodies that they are hitting for real. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah they are. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's 
And that's why it's in a couple of times I've been outside and I've watched them and it's like, you can hear it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's, uh, it's, but he's, he's kind of still going back to the, I mean, he's still the old school after he's yeah. been in the promotion now for over 40 years. Yeah. So he's still producing old school wrestling. Well, that's good. That's great. That's wonderful to hear. So if you're listening or watching this, this will come out here uh, in a few weeks. If you're in the St. Louis area, Go to that uh, memorial show. I, I, it's, yeah, East Condolent. Okay. Yeah, East Condolent. All right. All right. Yeah. So, all right. Let's kind of go into a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Obviously, you have grew an up. accent. So yeah. And, uh, and, and where'd you grow up? And, uh, and how, you, how did you meet Frank? Grew up, grew up in New Zealand. Okay. Being very, I mean, you're talking about the 50s. Get okay. my age away, but that's okay. <laughs> Talking about uh, the 50s. And New Zealand was very, very, I mean, it was a country that is so far removed. A lot of people, even today, I asked them and they still don't know. I think New Zealand became famous with The Hobbit, the movie, The Hobbit, <laughs> and uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And, you know, I think about that sometimes. I mean, we, we didn't even have running water. We had a cistern on top of the roof and hopefully it rained so we could get water. Wow. No washing machines, everything, not even a stove back in those days, not even a refrigerator. You had someone came around with ice and put it in a little little, uh, a little container outside the house so you wow. could keep things cool. And I always used to watch, there's, there's a series, I know you know, Three Stooges. There's, there's an yeah. episode of Three Stooges that has the ice pick, the, the man going up the stairs. And that always reminds me of my home because I could always remember coming in with the ice, this big block of ice and putting it in. So grew up, when you think about it, grew up very, very sim simple. Didn't have TV till I think I was 15 to see the first TV. Okay. So, but I think back today and I think that maybe it was a wonderful way to grow up because you grew up without social media, you grew up without TV, yeah. you played outside, you read books. The big event was going to the uh, movies on a, sat on a Saturday afternoon, the matinee, and seeing, seeing film from America and film from all around the world, black and white, of course, and thinking, oh, wow, look at these places. And here we are in this little tiny remote country. Yeah. So as soon as I became old enough, I realized, ah, me and my girlfriend, we wanted to go to Australia. So as soon as I was old enough, I think I was only 18, we decided, okay, it's, it's time to get out in this big wide world that we've been watching. And because, you know, you hear about them because you didn't know much about it. And my mum never learned to drive until she was 50. So when I was, I was a teenager, I would go out with her driving and we'd yeah. pick up hitchhikers. Sounds strange now. Yeah, but they were. They, but this was a safe time. Yeah, yeah, another, yeah, yeah. And I remember we'd pick up hitchhikers and take them, and they were from all over the world. And I can remember sitting there, and they would tell us stories. A lot of them from German and everywhere, you know. And it was like listening to these stories. And I think that's kind of why I got my travel bug. It was like, wow, sitting there listening to all these fantastic things. And so, as soon as I got old enough, being what eighteen, nineteen, I think I was, I me and my girlfriend, we took off over to uh, Sydney and started off our life over there. And then I ended up just doing regular work, uh, you know, office work, secretary, everything, worked a little bit of everything, nightclubs as a second, second hand, you know, second job, 
worked all the time. And then finally, it was like, okay, I think working in a hotel would be very interesting, you know, because, yeah. you know, you're in an office and that is, you know, you don't meet a lot of people. It's an office, yeah. you know, nine to five. And I thought, well, yeah. So I thought I saw a job. So I went, I went to the, went to the job. I didn't have no, any knowledge about hotels. I didn't have any knowledge about the equipment. I didn't have anything. So I thought, okay, what can I do? So I found out what kind of machines they use. This is, of course, before internet, before computers, before yeah, anything. Yeah. So what happened was I went to the manufacturer of where they sold these machines and I told them, oh, yeah, I'm coming to investigate some machines. We're uh, opening up a motel and we need, we need some, you know, we need some merchandise to put in the motel. They went through all the machines for me. So by wow. the time I went back for another interview, I had so much knowledge. <laughs> I got the job. That's you know, great. Oh, yeah. Do you use this machine or this machine? And I didn't have a clue because I'd never used one before except yeah. for what they showed me. <laughs> you know. So yeah. I was like, okay. So I got the job and that was the start. And then I ended up working in a little place, the Texas Tavern in uh, Australia, this was in Sydney now, I'm in Sydney. And it just happened to be a place where all the boys, all the wrestlers who had their tour of New Zealand and Australia would stay. So got to meet, you know, got to meet them. Cause as I said, a few times I worked down on the front desk. So to me, I was like a big sister because yeah. I'd give them their mail. And this was before they wrote letters because it was too expensive to make phone calls from Australia to America back in those days. Yeah. So I would uh, give them their mail. They'd show me photographs of their kids and their wives. And it was a lonely existence back in those days. When they left, that was it. Like now, we're all around the world. Yeah. I, you know, you push a button and you talk to somebody in another country. So the, you know, the communication is so different. Whereas yeah. back in those days, the it was, you wrote letters. It's hard to think about that now. <laughs> then you wrote a letter. <laughs> that was your, you know, form of communication. Yeah. And so this day, Frank had come in. I, I was friends with a lot of them. It just so happened that I mean, he'd been there, you know, just talking and had been there for quite some time. And this one night, somebody was, somebody didn't show up for the late shift. So they asked me, well, you know, can you work the late shift? Oh, sure. What else am I going to do? So I happened to be there getting off work at 11 o'clock at night and the, the boys all just uh, pulled up in a cab. I mean, when I, when I talk about, <laughs> I mean, I had Andre the Giant, I had Don Morocco, I had, you name it, yeah. J.J. Dillon, you know, it's funny, J.J. Dillon is also a friend today too, which I've known for 40 plus years. Yeah. It's funny, I caught up with quite a few of the uh, old timers that I met old time, young timers that I met, <laughs> that I met in, uh, in, in Australia. So this night they're all saying, and, and I had, I had one that was a really good friend and he said, look, we're going up. My boss was an American gentleman and he had another club up the street, which was called the Bourbon and Beef. So they said, look, it's late. Why don't you just come up and have a drink with us? Okay, sure. You know, this is when you work to, you know, when you work at night, it's like getting off at five o'clock. Yeah. It's not something. It's it's the time is irrelevant. So I went went up the street, 
everybody was there. It was like 12 of us. There was midgets and giants and, you know, quite a, quite a show, really. And, but to me, they're just people I've always had. People are just people. It doesn't matter. It's how they treat you. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter who they are, what they are, you know, what nationality. They're yeah. all the same. It's how you treat each other. And, uh, and all of a sudden we're sitting at this table, all these people, one by one, they start leaving. Okay, we'll be back, we'll be back. And the finish, there was just three of us. There was Carl Krupp, who's also passed on. There was me and there was Frank. Then Carl gets up and leaves and said, I'll be right back. <laughs> no, I found out later it was a work. He didn't know how to get me by myself. So he'd set all the boys up. Say, so, yeah, you, you've got to leave, but don't do it so she knows. <laughs> so that... So that is how we met. And then just very slowly, he was there for like, oh, probably six months, seven months. He was doing Australia. He'd gone home for Christmas, came back. And then one night he came back and he said, I'm off to the States in the morning. Oh, (laughs) it had, you know, Frank has kind of had a little reputation about standing up. Uh. Ever thought something? Not to get into it, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I got you. There's quite, yeah, he has a, uh, yeah, (laughs) there's some stories. And uh, he came, he came back and he said, okay, okay, well, nice knowing you. So what he did, he put Frank, as you've probably known, was very stingy. He saved his money. He, he ate. When he went on the road, it was green beans and tuna, and his, uh, so he wouldn't have to spend money going out. He had, you know, had those grazing green beans and tuna in his in his bag, so he always had food with him. So he 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 was he knew he knew there was life after wrestling, so he knew to save, like right. some, you know what I mean. He was a businessman, I guess you say a businessman, and he treated wrestling like a business. He never lost sight of who he was yeah. he was always frank goodish then he became bruiser brody and then he would come back to frank goodish again so some people as we know in life doesn't matter what it is will will lose sight of who they really are yes so they become who they create yes. so, you know so so what happened and i said oh and what he did was he put a pile of money down on the table, his last pay, it was all in cash, put it down on the table. And he said, he didn't say anything except I'd like you to come over. There were no promises. There was no blow, you know, none of that, no major promises. He said, I'll just make sure I'll, you know, I'll look after you, but just come over. That was it. It wasn't oh. like it's going to be, you know. Yeah. So he left the next day and I, came over a couple of weeks later of course I'd been over in Australia for quite some time so I, there was a lot of business I had to tie up yeah so I came over very scared I'm in here you know coming over to America got my visa and everything the first and this was before 9-11 so yeah. when I got out of the plane on I always remember my first vision of America was leaving the plane and the Hare Krishnas were right at the uh, gate and, you know, they would come up and they would be doing their chanting. And I remember coming out there and here's the Hare Krishnas right there as I'm walking out the gate. 
And I said, well, this is a pretty cool place. This is different. <laughs> so I got on, got on the plane, went to, San, you know, went to San Antonio. Of course, you're thinking, are they going to be there? You know, that thought goes in, you know, what am I doing? Well, I'll get to see America anyway. And I had a ticket. I had a ticket into America. Then I had a ticket onto London. You, you always got to have a plan A and plan B in life because if plan A doesn't work out. You want to have a plan B. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. just in case. Sometimes a yeah. plan C too. Yeah. So, so my plan B was, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go. I'd always wanted to go to uh, England, London. So I thought, well, I'll get a ticket on to London just in case. Have my plan B. Yeah, that's right. But I guess not. I'm still here. So yeah. I guess plan, B, plan B never came into fruition. But that's kind of how it just all started. And yeah. as I said, with everything happening, we're in San Antonio where he, uh, you know, where he worked, he worked out of mm -hmm. right up until the time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, when he got uh, going, you know, when he went to Minnesota or went to Georgia, did you ever, did you travel with him? Or did you stay home and, and take care of the family? Near enough, stayed home. He traveled. I went to a couple of, because people ask me, how about, because some of them travel all over the place and go mm -hmm. with the, uh, with the, to the matches. But I would sometimes travel with him in Texas. Mm -hmm. If he was driving, if it was a close, if it was close, like Corpus Christi or somewhere that was in one of these small towns in Texas, you know, there's only a couple of hours driving then I would drive with him, but that was about all. Okay. I think the only, the only real time I really went with him and people will still talk about this match. I guess I saw one of the best matches that he's, you know, that people remember was yeah. when he did one hour with Ric Flair in St. Louis. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people still talk cause I didn't think that he could both of them, that he could go one hour with yeah. Rick cause Rick's, you know, that was a match. Yeah. And what it was, was the Japanese. Uh, the Japanese were in town. Giant Barber was in town and Mrs. Barber. And they were over at that match because they filmed it too for the Japanese people. Uh, okay. So I got to go and he had family. He had family and uh, his sister was living in St. Louis at the time. So I actually, I actually got to go to wow. St. Louis to see that match. And I did one other match was the, uh, uh, which one was the big one? The Superdome in New Orleans? Was that, was that New oh, Orleans? Oh, the, the world-class, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did one time with that. I did go down. It was kind of like a little okay. vacation yeah. that I went to. It was after Jeff had been born and got, aw got away for a couple of days. Yeah. So that's pretty much the only of course um he would bring home tapes from japan yeah and as i'm going through the house I, you know i'd see that because as you know japan is a totally totally different uh yeah. wrestling organization yeah. than what it is over here in the states because yeah. you work i mean they put you to work over there and he was lucky to be a big man like stan and a few of the other ones that could actually work i mean work to the, their style and do the things i mean frank has always had always he, he could always, I see some of the photographs. I've never been able to kick my leg that high. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when he, when he gave that big boot. The big I mean, boot, yeah. Big boot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. You know, it's like, how the hell did he get his leg up that high? Yeah. Wanted to ask you, he worked in quite a few uh, territories. Um, what do you think or believe, I guess I should say, was his favorite area? I'm going to assume Texas, but I don't know if there was another area that he particularly liked uh-huh. to work in. Texas with uh, Fritz and the St. Louis area with Sam Muchnick. Okay. Those, those were the two, I think, two. And that's where he met Larry and that's where he met Herb. So I would have to say, yeah. definitely St. Louis because they treated him so good. In fact, when his son was born, he was working Kansas city that night Mm -hmm. and he was on his way to St. Louis. So he didn't even know that when he got to St. Louis, he had the uh, telephone message that he, you know, his son had been born. He went to work that night. Sam told him, you leave, get a plane and go home. Yeah. Didn't even have to work. I mean, that that's how great. That's the way to do it. Yeah, Sam was. So he made he made it home that night. I think it was like about 10 o'clock. He yeah. made it. Then he had to leave again. Of course, he stayed one day and then, you know, yeah. had to leave again for work the following, you know, yeah. I think two days or something. So, yeah, so that's why he said, I mean, that that is class. Didn't worry about the match. Didn't worry about anything. Worried about that. You get home and meet your son. That's right. That's good. Um, I know back then they, a lot of the promoters, uh, family was not a priority Mm-mm. you you worked so a lot of respect and i've heard a lot of good things about sam and fritz uh both mm-hmm. so um because yeah, he was ahead. kind of part of the family i mean fritz yeah. was the one that kind of got him into the business and mm-hmm. i mean he he worked they, they were kind of like brothers they thought of frank as a big brother and you know, i mean you talk about tragedy you know that family was a you know was tragedy yeah it was just because I was he was in Japan of course with David and I had gone I think I'd gone to New Zealand if I remember I was in New Zealand and he called me that just after it you know it all happened and I mean I know it was just and then the whole thing was just sad I mean you know and he was there for just about all of them except for Carrie Carrie, yeah. you know, but but I have to say, my Kevin, with having being in Hawaii, with having his family and his kids there and everything, his sons now are wrestling and everything. Yeah. The last of the Von Erics. Yeah, yeah, that is a tragedy of what happened to that family, and you know, it's yeah, it, I don't have words for it. It's just yeah, it's it's a, quite disheartening and. Yeah. So let's talk about when Frank was gone, which was probably pretty frequent. Uh, what was life like for you? I mean, you, yeah, what, when you really come down to it, I keep thinking, I mean, we were probably lucky to be together three months of a whole year, counting yeah. the times that you know, the few times that he was home, especially when he got into the Japanese, because now that was like a four week, six week trip. Mm-hmm. That yeah. he was gone. Sometimes I wouldn't hear from him because, like I said, don't waste money on a telephone call. They're expensive from Japan. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of was left to, you know what I mean? And yeah. I think he'd, he'd often said to me, he said, I had, to, I had to travel around the world to find someone that would put up with my lifestyle. So, yeah. you know, 
Very true. Yeah, a lot of people not they're not going to tolerate because I'm I'm not going to be there. I'm I can't you know I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to be honest with you. It's gonna it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard, but I know that you can do it, and I did. So yeah, it, it was hard, especially especially after Jeff came. Mm -hmm. and not having his father around and everything but when his father was home he would do the he would do everything he possible could if he was in little league was in baseball he'd come to the baseball field and watch him if he if they had a show and tell at school jeff would take his dad as show and tell the teachers loved it I bet they did <laughs> you know and here he is trying to sit in one of these little tiny chairs in this classroom so after everything <laughs> happened they were they were really kind they put jeff with one of his best friends yeah. for that year and that so yeah they just uh, the, the teachers they just loved him there because they yeah. they knew that he's a father that's gone all the time but he's trying to do the best he can when he comes home yeah yeah i can imagine being as big as he was and sitting in those little chairs yeah <laughs> so yeah he he tried as I said, yeah, and, it, and it's tough when yeah. the father, the husband is on the road all the time, but it's just something you adjust to. It's just something, you know, you work at. Yeah. Yeah, it, it'd be tough. And I want to talk a little bit, if I could, um, you know, after the, what happened to your husband, um, I know it took time to adjust. Uh, I guess, how did you cope with that and how did you move I, want, I don't want to say move on but kind of oh, just get back into into life with your family and your and your and your son I mean I, I'm sure that was very excruciating and painful and, and challenging well first first thing when when I came back to the states after being you know I went to Puerto Rico and stayed there and tied I mean there was things that had to be done over there that yeah. I couldn't do if I got back to the states you know my hands would have been tied so there was certain things that I had to do over there before coming back to the states mm -hmm. you know certificates and things like that and uh, when I came back uh, one of his best friends they had two kids a little bit not much one was I think the same age as Jeff and one was a little bit older and mm -hmm. they asked me as they said uh this was just after I got back. I said, well, what, what can we do? I said, leave your kids with me. Just leave your kids with me. Yeah. And you, I know you guys have to go back to work and that, but it was the school holidays because it was July. Yeah. So they left the two yeah. kids with me. So I came back and then I had three kids I had to uh, kind of take care of, which was good for the mind. Keep yeah. the mind busy because if the mind starts dwelling, that's when things happen. That's when people get into that really bad funk that right. people get into. So with having three kids, and it was good for Jeff too, having two kids and not just having mom who's very, very sad, this way they kept each other going out, taking them out to different things and that. So that was the first thing was to get through. The next thing was make a list of everything that needs to be done on a piece of paper if you get one thing off that list, you have accomplished something for that day. You're not going to, just one thing and that. And then by that, you'll get everything that needs to be done. You'll get it done yeah. without worrying about it, but giving you some direction. 
And I think that was the main thing was just, and it's not easy. I'm not saying it was easy or anything yeah. like that, but just trying to keep that mind focused yeah. and not dwell. Of course, yeah. the night times were hard and things like that when the house is quiet and things like that, you think, because all of a sudden you've been going on this path and the path is great. And then all of a sudden you hit a wall. And life will never, ever be the same that it was. You have to mm -hmm. totally change. You can either go forward or you can go back or you can just stay. I mean, I, I know people that have never recovered from a tragedy that's happened and they've lost. I mean, they've lost out on so much of life. You know, yeah. it's, it's hard and it doesn't matter how long it takes. Yeah. There's no time frame. Yeah. It took me. To get, I, to get rid of all his things that were in, I wish I still had them today because I didn't realize they would be so valuable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish yeah. I had, because now things just, anything, anything is worth a lot of money of his. Yeah. And it was like, but up until the time that I was leaving uh, Texas to come to Florida, I still had his things. He had his own dressing room. So I kind of never even went in there. It was kind mm -hmm. of like, you know, that was, that was it right up to that time. And it didn't bother me. You know what I mean? I guess it was kind of like, I don't know. I think everybody has their own time of, you know, moving that type of stuff. The mind and possessions are a whole different thing. So until I came here where I had to make a decision, I wished I'd bought, like I said, I wished I'd bought everything with me, <laughs> you know, but that's another thing. Yeah. But yeah. So, yeah, and I know because what happened when my mom died with my dad, uh, my sister and friends went in to the house and took all my mom's things away. He came home from being out and there was nothing of my mom's, which is not, I don't think it's the right thing because yeah. he hadn't quite said goodbye, you know. It still made him feel good to have a couple of her things mm -hmm. around. And then yeah. he comes home and everything is gone. There's nothing. It's like she never existed. And I think, I think you've got to let people do it themselves. Yeah. You know, people think they're helping. Don't get me wrong. People think they're helping yeah. and bless them, you know, bless them for that. But sometimes it's not. Everyone is different. Some people yeah. is fine. Everybody yeah. is different. But let the person that's lost somebody, let them be the one to decide. Yeah. You know. I, I agree. Yeah. It's it's hard. You People try and do the right thing for you, and sometimes mm -hmm. they end up. Yeah, and, and they're only trying to help. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah, not to. doing it maliciously. Yeah, no. I... Yeah, that's not. They're not doing it for anything except trying to help, right. and that's. Yeah. You know, no, I, and I didn't I notice another thing. Like, with, if you lose somebody, sometimes, especially with, uh, especially with Frank, the way it happened <laughs> and everything was, people would see me, and. I think they don't know what to say sometimes. So yeah. I'd, I'd see them like, you know, go to the grocery store and you'd see them out of the corner of your eye. You know, they saw you. But yeah. Then th they didn't come and say hello or anything because they didn't know what to say. You know, just as I said, tell them, just go up and say, you know, as if you know them. Well, yeah. you know, hello, you know, whatever you want to say, but say something. It, yeah. It's not going to, you know what I mean? Instead of, disappearing yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I think people don't know what to say and they're kind of scared to say something. Yeah, they're scared to say something that might might upset you. Yeah, you know, but that's part that's part of the uh, losing process. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, appreciate that insight. Let's talk about the book you wrote uh, a few years back. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. If you're watching, there it is. There it is. Yeah. The uh, the triumph and tragedy of wrestling's rebel. I got a lot of copies. If they want to contact me, then contact me through Facebook or anything like that. I will put it down uh, at the bottom of the description, mm -hmm. your Facebook page. And uh, I'll probably order one myself just because. Well, what I'll do, you're doing the right, send me your address and I'll send you one. Oh, thank you. Okay. You know, so so let's talk about the book a little bit. Um, Well, the the book came about that another person had contacted me to write a book. I think it was Emerson Murray, who has another book out on Frank. Shouldn't Mm -hmm. really give him a plug, but you know, hey, that's okay. It's a different book because it was written in a whole different perspective. Mm-hmm. And some of it in there that I've heard from the family is not quite, you know what I mean. There's a yeah. little bit. The book that Larry, when Larry approached me, Larry Matisak, mm-hmm. when he approached me, it was like a whole different thing because Larry is one of the, was, sorry, yeah, he was one of the most honest people that I know. And to Frank, he was one of his closest friends. Mm-hmm. And you have to be on to be a friend of Frank. You have to be pretty blatantly honest. And Larry and Herb, like I said, I know I've mentioned them a couple of times. I can't say enough about those two. Larry, of course, unfortunately, has already left us. And uh, when he approached me, he said, look, he said, I've been approached. He'd already done a book with ECW Press up in Canada. And he said, I've been approached. How would you feel? I said, well, I can't write. When he told me, he said, no. He said, all you have to do. I'm going to be doing the wrestling side of it because it's from, from both perspectives. It's from the wrestling side. He did the wrestling side. And I, he said, all, all we want to do, just like you're doing now, talk about exactly like this podcast is what the book is kind of like. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Just, just write. Because if, if you write honest or if you talk honest, you don't have to worry because it's honest. You don't have to think yeah. about, well, what did I tell this person or – did I tell this person, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Different things that, you yeah. know, we all yeah. come sometimes embellished just a little bit. Yeah. And, but if you just talk from the heart, from the honest part, you can't make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just did exactly the same. Like you're telling, you're asking me that I just wrote it from my perspective. Yeah. Instead of talking, I just wrote it down and then he just, clarified it he said i really didn't have to do much because you're just speaking from the heart yeah so it's very easy to just you know there wasn't really anything i had to correct because that was it so that was how the book came about was uh with larry and as i said and and i as i said i've got in fact i'm going to take him up there's a wrestling show here in daytona beach there's a wrestling show it's like a wrestling con thing in daytona beach on the 24th and then uh, there's the big one up in uh new jersey the men and the men and i think it's the men in sports center 
there's a huge one that I'm going to go up okay. to too. They're also giving Frank an award. Oh, wow. Up Great. There. So this is what I mean. And then there's Waterloo. I go to Waterloo. Uh, National the, Wrestling Hall of Fame. That is correct. Up yeah. there in Waterloo, Iowa. Mm-hmm. We'll be there in July. Okay. And then, of course, the CAC in Vegas in September. Yeah. Back See. to the CAC. So you're so pretty this, busy. This is, this is what I mean. I always remember Frank said, if you ever, you know, it wasn't a promise of anything, but I'll make sure you're okay. And yeah. still today, he's making sure I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, this this long afterwards. Yeah. And like I said, it just amazes me that all these people, when I go to all these events, that they remember. I mean, yeah. they just know all about him. You You can't, how can I say this? You can't forget somebody that made such a huge impact, even during the era for the territories. So you didn't have cable back then. I mean, it just started, but I mean, you know, Bruiser Brody was everywhere. Japan for most notably in Japan, obviously with Stan Hansen and Terry Funk. They're legends over there. They're legends here as well. But I'm saying you talk about Bruiser Brody, they're going to know who he is. Or who you know, he was that much of an impact on this on the business. And I know, and I get a lot of Japanese friend requests too from Japan. That yeah. you know, I have to push the translation button to find out what they're saying. You know, yeah. I love that they have a translation button. Yeah, that's on nice. Yeah, Facebook that you can find out. Yeah, yeah. and oh. I can tell, as I said, and. As I said, if there's a birthday or anything, I'll always wish them happy birthday. And it's like, oh, Barbara-san. Because they say that S-A-N at the end of your name yeah. in the Japanese with respect. <laughs> and it's like, thank you so much. Well, I appreciate because Japan was, they treated him so good. And mm-hmm. I was so fortunate when everything happened that uh, Giant Baba and Mrs. Baba, they took me over there for his memorial service. Wow. Me and Jeff over there. And... I got to see, because he always used to t- tell me, he said, you you just won't understand what it's like over in Japan. Well, I got, thanks to them, thanks to the Japanese company, I got to know exactly what it was like. And Stan was over there too on the uh, on the trip. So okay. he kind of looked after us and, yeah. you know, That's everything. Really nice. So it was, it was a very big experience. And then, of course, yeah. uh, Jimmy Snooker, who was another, another one that Frank worked with in, and, you know, a lot. And another one that was, you know, he thought a lot of, he had some good matches with Jimmy. Yeah. I know yeah. You, you talk about a lot of people now and it's at this age, especially some of the legends, there's so many that are not here anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's too bad. I think a lot of it, and you know, this is pure speculation is just, they bang their bodies around so much and gave so much to the business that it took a, a lot of those guys mm-hmm. early in life and it, it's too bad because you know all these wrestling conventions they have and and um when they get invited to the like the national wrestling hall of fame it's too bad that they're not around and i know to, to see it it's, it's a tragedy I, I think they'll always a lot of the old ones the uh, legends they'll always be remembered, just like Frank. I mean, to not be here for, what, 34 years this July. And I said, it's just, it amazes me. And like I said before, 
He just wanted to give the fans the best night of his life. And now there's a whole new generation of fans that have picked up on what he was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Legend. And again, like I said earlier, I don't think the spouses get enough credit for what they have to sacrifice at home with their because they're, they're raising the children and, and keeping the house, you know, in order. And, um, you know, I want to thank you again, Miss Barbara Goodish. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to say a shout out for you, uh, Darla. Yeah. Told me to tell you hello. And so did Greg Oliver. Oh, Greg. It's good to be seeing him too. Yeah, we, yeah. as I said, yeah. I found my family. As yeah. I said, with the, the CAC and everything that yeah. first year, yeah. I found my family, and it's a it's such a great family too that it just it makes you feel good to have yeah. these wonderful people in your life. It is, yes. Yeah. So they think very highly of you, and I talk to them. And uh, folks, I want to say again, Miss Barbara Gush, if you want a copy of that book, I will have the link of her Facebook page down in the description. Please grab a book from her. I know it's great. I've read the reviews on it. It's 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 a wonderful book. And um, get out there and see her. She's going to be at the in Waterloo in, in July, St. Louis here in about three weeks. And uh, get out and say hello to her. She's a heck of a nice lady. From just interacting <laughs> her with her right now, I'm only you know and great lady. So Barbara, thank you again so much for coming on here. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And as I said, everybody out there. Thank you for still remembering him. That's a, it's a real honor from the family, from the family to all of you. All right. Again, one more time, Ms. Barbara Goodish. Thank you for watching. If you're listening, thank you. And subscribe. And we will talk to you soon.